Hi, everyone. We hope you enjoyed listening to the story of Julian Pierce over the last two weeks. I know we take y'all to Robinson County a lot in our stories, but it's our home and woof, there are just so many stories to tell y'all. We haven't even scratched the surface. But anyways, for the next two weeks, we're going to tell you a couple of stories that take place in Canada. I think it's important as an Indigenous true crime podcast to tell stories from both the U.S. and Canada to really highlight that the missing and murdered issue is an international issue, and the injustices in the judicial system exist in both countries. This is the Red Justice Project. So today we want to tell you the story of Cindy Gladue. Cindy Ivy Gladue was a Cree woman born in July 1974 in Athabasca, Alberta, but she actually grew up in Edmonton, Alberta. According to our research, she was the eldest of four siblings, and while one article I read stated that she had a rough upbringing because of her stepfather, because of her stepfather who had addiction issues, she had a loving mother whom she was really close to, and she loved to cook and draw too. And as a true teenager of her time, she loved 80s classic rock and she was very connected to her indigenous heritage. Cindy's friends and family all described her as fiercely protective and pretty cautious about her personal safety. She was also reported as being constantly watching out for her friends when they would hang out in the streets of Edmonton at night. And Brittany, I think we should just add for those that are not familiar with Canadian geography that Edmonton is the second largest city in Alberta, so it's a pretty big city. Yeah, it's definitely a larger city, and those city streets would prove to be very dangerous for Cindy. You see, when Cindy was in high school, she began drinking pretty heavily, and she developed a severe alcohol addiction. And Chelsea, you know alcohol addiction is one of the things that has really taken a toll on our Indigenous communities. Definitely. You know, we jokingly talked about in the first part of the Julian episode about how many Lumbee families have bootleggers in their family history to help make ends meet, like my great-grandmother, but you also have people like my great-grandfather who was an alcoholic and suffered from liver disease, and just how it affected my grandma and her siblings growing up, and even my mama's few memories of him. In the United States, Native Americans have the highest percentage of any ethnic group of heavy drinkers and binge drinkers, according to the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Alcohol can truly be detrimental to our communities, and it's crazy how we see it here in the Southeast and it happening across the U.S. and in Canada as well. And in Cindy's case, her reliance on alcohol actually turned her to sex work so she could afford to drink. And over the years, Cindy had three daughters that she loved dearly, but they lived with Cindy's mom because of Cindy's lifestyle. And so this continued on for a while until the night of June 21st, 2011. By this time, Cindy was 36 years old, and on this fateful night, she met up with a client named Bradley Barton. So Bradley Barton was an Ontario trucker, so he was used to driving long stretches across Canada. And this wasn't their first encounter, actually. This was actually the second time that Cindy and Bradley had arranged to meet up. The two went to a local hotel uh, in Edmonton and spent two nights there. The next morning, Cindy was found dead in the hotel bathroom where she had bled to death. The cause of her death was an 11-centimeter wound in her vaginal wall. Y'all, I just had a baby two months ago, so I have a good visual image of 10 centimeters of dilation. So when I read that she had an 11-centimeter wound in her vaginal wall, I just couldn't imagine what could have caused that or even the sheer amount of pain an 11-centimeter wound down there could create. Like, I can't even imagine a one centimeter wound on any part of my body, let alone 11 centimeters to the vaginal wall. 
Yeah, and like the trauma that had to be inflicted had to be intentional. But just like in all the cases we've covered so far, the fair justice we seek is not always easily attained. So just two days after Cindy was found at the hotel, Bradley Barton, the man who she was with for the previous two consecutive nights in the hotel, was arrested and Cindy's family was notified. And I think we should just add in that the police originally told Cindy's mom, Donna McCloy, that Cindy died of natural causes. Y'all, natural causes with an 11 centimeter wound. Yeah, and she bled out. So I don't know how you could say any that would be natural for somebody to bleed out. So that's yeah. that's also another strange part. And um, so, so Brad Bradley actually claimed that the wound was caused by consensual sex. Bradley's story is that on the night of June 21st, 2011, he paid Cindy money in exchange for sex as he had done in the past. He said he used his hand to manually stimulate her and sometimes inserted his fist and killed her by accident. He claims that it was all rough but consensual. And not to be graphic here, but I mean, I can't imagine inflicting that kind of harm that would leave a wound so big that it causes a person to bleed to death. And not only that, there's no evidence at all that Bradley ever tried to seek medical attention for Cindy or to care for her in any way. I couldn't find in any reports if he was the one that put her in the tub or if the murder, which is what I'm going to be calling it here, happened in the tub itself. But for all accounts, we know that Cindy was for sure found alone the next morning. I can only imagine the pain and horror that Cindy's mom, Donna, and Cindy's three daughters must have felt for her, not only as a mom and daughter, but as women as well, to be mutilated like that to the point of death. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing that nobody deserves, and even if Cindy was a sex worker, it shouldn't have been a death sentence for her at all. Yeah, agreed. So, fast-forwarding, Bradley Barton's case went to trial in 2015, so almost four years after she was murdered, which I also think is ridiculous considering he was arrested just two days after it happened. And this, Brittany, is where we really start seeing some of those judicial injustices and racism just rearing its ugly head. So during the trial, the defense and even the prosecutors constantly referenced Cindy as the native and referred to her as a prostitute over 50 times. And like you said, Brittany, it doesn't matter if she was a sex worker. That should not have been a death sentence or a reason to be violently murdered. Nevertheless, Cindy's mom continued to sit through the trial, listening to them demean her child and justify her death at the hands of a white man. They even, and I'm using air quotes here, accidentally shared a photo of Cindy's dead body on the screen of photo evidence that was not supposed to be shared. I mean, it was just creating more trauma for her mama, you know? The Crown, which in Canada is another way to reference the prosecutors here, um, even submitted evidence and presented in court Cindy's preserved pelvic tissue of the fatal wound. So not only do we have the defense doing their thing, but we also have the prosecution just showing off pieces of Cindy on display in a dehumanizing way. The Crown said they had to show the evidence and that they believed the wound was caused by a sharp object. And just a note that I couldn't find the exact details of Cindy's wound or why they thought a sharp object was used, especially when Bradley claimed he had just used his hand. Like, it really is unclear what he used to kill her, a hand or an object, since no weapon was actually ever found. But we also have to remember that Bradley was no longer at the hotel when Cindy was found in the tub. He wasn't arrested until two days later, so he certainly could have had time to get rid of or destroy any evidence that could have definitely made him guiltier than he already looked. Yeah, and were there any cameras showing Bradley leaving the hotel room or anything, or maybe acting suspicious around the area of the room? Because I, th- I didn't see any of that in my research. 
Now, I couldn't find anything in my research either, which details of the evidence collected and what was actually stated in trial is so hard to find online. I'm not sure if it's just because it's a case about an Indigenous woman and so it's just reported less, or if in Canada they really just don't share as many details. And I think that's really interesting to think about, but I would think that in 2011 there would be some kind of cameras, uh, I mean, around the vicinity of the hotel at least, even if it was kind of a rinky-dink motel, but... After an agonizing trial, an all-white jury of nine men and two women actually acquitted Barton of first-degree murder. They could have charged him with manslaughter, but they decided not to. The jury came to the conclusion that Cindy died of what, what, of what one of our sources called a reckless but consensual sex act gone wrong. And I was so furious when I read that. I mean, it's one thing to not charge him with first-degree murder, you know, let's say if it was an accident or if he didn't pre-plan it, but to just let him be a free man when he had clearly hurt her to the point um, where she bled out. We all know that there is no way that what he did to her was consensual. To have a vaginal wound that large had to be both painful and agonizing. And then he let her slowly bleed out in the bathtub and just left her to die without even trying to call you know, the ambulance or anything. And so to me, it's just extremely outrageous. Yeah, outrageous indeed. And we aren't the only ones that feel that way. Her trial and the lack of justice received for Cindy and her family sparked nationwide protest all over Canada. The protest created heated debates about many of Canada's sexual assault laws, and more importantly, the lack of protection the sexual assault laws afford First Nations women and girls. And look, y'all, regardless if Bradley really did believe that he was doing something in an act of consensual sex, he took things too far and ultimately killed her. It was clear from the public that because of the countless referrals to her being a prostitute during the trial that her death needed no justification. And Cindy was yet another Indigenous person mistreated by Canada's criminal justice system. And I think when we look at language and how we speak about people, whether they're Indigenous or not, in trials, that it can really sway jurors. When you constantly hear of Cindy only as a prostitute and not as a mother, not as a daughter, not as a Creed woman with a less than ideal childhood, and not as a vulnerable human being who desperately needed tra- treatment for alcohol addiction, it can really impact the case. And it also just reminds me of a lot of the trials um, of rape that happen and thinking about how a lot of times the prosecutors will engage in victim blaming and, you know, describing the woman's past like sexual conquests or describing what she was wearing that night or, or if she had drank a lot. Um, and so I do think that a lot of times the justice system is very much um, keen on blaming the victim. And even though I'm aware that obviously the defendant deserves a, f- a fair trial, you know, victims also deserve justice. And what happened to Cindy was not okay and was not wanted. And even if it was an accident, he still t- didn't try to call anybody. So to me, that further highlights that it was not an accident. It was very intentional. He left her there to die. He knew yeah. she would die. But, you know, there's so much power in the words that we choose and what our voices ultimately say. And thank the Lord, there was a lot of power in the words of the protesters, because after months of protesting, the decision was overturned by the Alberta Court of Appeals. And then on October 11th, 2018, Cindy's case was actually taken to the top court, the Supreme Court of Canada, just like we have here in the U.S. Barton is actually the one who uh, took the case to the Supreme Court in an effort to get the appellate court's decision, which overturned his um is acquittal thrown out. The Supreme Court justices heard the arguments of how the details of Cindy's murder included her sexual history and how her torn vaginal tissue was presented in court as evidence. 
During the Supreme Court hearing, the issue of indigenous women and men being shown a lack of dignity in courts because of poverty and abuse is inexcusable, and Julie McGregor, who represented the Assembly of First Nations, pleaded for the justices to send a message to the lower courts by intervening in this case. There's a really great quote I found from her. Chelsea, can you please read it? Sure. So Julie McGregor said, This case demonstrates with shocking and disturbing detail that these women and girls don't receive the same protections under the law. Rather, their privacy and equality rights get blatantly violated by the same individuals charged with ensuring the laws of this country are upheld. And here she's referring to the indignant way in which they displayed her actual vaginal tissue in court in front of her mother. And Brittany, if I was on the Supreme Court, I would have been like, we got to fix this like right now. Right, exactly. So... Which is, um, in May 2019, the Supreme Court unanimously decided that Bradley Barton should stand trial again for the death of Cindy. Now, although they were unanimous in deciding that he needed to go back to court, they were split four to three on whether or not he should be tried once again for first-degree murder or for manslaughter. The majority of the justices said that the new trial should be restricted to just trying Barton for manslaughter because they did not believe that the procedural errors actually tainted the jury's finding for first-degree murder. And that's really interesting. So I was thinking whether double jeopardy actually comes into play here where he can't actually be tried twice for the same crime. Like, I would think he wouldn't have to stand trial again for the first degree murder. But then again, maybe it's something the Supreme Court can get away with doing. I'm not really sure. And I'm really not really sure about the laws, I guess, on that in Canada. I know they say we have that here in the U.S., but then I've also heard that there are some exceptions. So I'm not really sure. But I do know that Barton's attorney... Um, on the CBC article that I read said that the court's appeals process that allowed his acquittal to be overturned was flawed because it accepted alternative theories from the Crown and trying Barton again essentially amounted to double jeopardy. But from what I also read, the Supreme Court found that the justice system failed to protect Cindy and that, and I quote, rape shield laws were not followed during Barton's trial when the jury heard evidence of Gladue's past sexual activities before holding a separate hearing. And I looked up the Rape Shield Law, which is Section 276 of the Criminal Code for those of y'all wanting to look it up too. And it basically is kind of what it sounds like. Evidence of a victim's past sexual history or activity, especially in a sexual assault trial, should be prohibited from admission into evidence because it could help jurors infer that a victim is more likely to have given consent to something or less worthy of being believed. So in the case of Cindy, the Supreme Court didn't see why it was necessary to repeatedly provide intricate details of Cindy's sexual past. It was not evidence deemed relevant for the jurors to know to make an informed decision on whether or not Bradley Barton actually murdered Cindy or not. Which makes total sense. How little or how much and with whom someone has sex with should not matter when someone has been raped or killed through some horrible sexual assault. I could definitely see how that could sway a jury and invoke the dreadful they deserve what happened to them argument. Oh, for sure. Which is why what Supreme Court Justice Michael Maldaver wrote for the majority was so important. He said this. As an additional safeguard going forward in sexual assault cases where the complainant is an indigenous woman or girl, trial judges would be well advised to provide an express instruction aimed at countering prejudice against indigenous women and girls. And I think that what Justice Maldaver Maldaver said here is going past equality and equity and is going straight towards justice that Indigenous women and girls very much deserve. Oh, I totally agree. Another thing I read in Justice Maldaver's statement was what he wrote on consent in this case. He noted, and I'm quoting him here again, that consent on one occasion does not extend to another. 
and that in the second encounter, Barton admitted the act of inserting his hand into Gladue's vagina was more extreme and forceful. It would be a mistake of law to say she consented the night before, therefore I can assume she's going to consent tonight. This is a classic error of law. This is rape mythology. He also said in his statement, her life mattered. She was valued. She was important. She was loved. Her status as an indigenous woman who performed sex work did not change any of that in the slightest. Yes. And also it just makes me think about like marital rape laws in the United States and how, you know, for an extended period of time, and even there are many people today who don't believe that men can rape their wives. But what this um, justice said is so true. Like giving consent one day does not equal to consent the next day. And and um, another stat, I think it's 80% of all rapes are date rapes or they're rapes by somebody that you know. And so a lot of people have this other rape mythology of like, a rapist being like a person looming in a dark alley waiting for you. But in reality, it's most of the time going to be somebody who you probably have already had consensual sex with. And so I think that is important um, for people to know about. But consent is everything, y'all. And please, for those listening, don't be trash people. Get consent. Yes means yes, but no also means no. So make people feel comfortable. Amen. I wholeheartedly 100% agree. And I also think that this is very pointed to how we treat sex workers. Like the whole they get what they deserve mentality but that's a whole conversation we could have for another time and a whole separate case really Brittany right but Barton's attorney continued to argue that Bradley was innocent and it was just a sexual encounter that went too far his attorney Peter Sankoff said that the appellate court forgot that their role was an adversarial one and that they ignored due process standards to try to reach a new outcome to counter that, the Alberta government actually admitted that the judge in the trial made quite a few errors and made several omissions when stating his charges to the jury. He failed to mention one, Bradley's motive for killing Sandy, Bradley's conduct right after killing her, and also what Canada constitutes as sexual consent, especially given the rape shield laws. The judge in that case was trash. Yep, really was. And if I was Sandy's family, I would be so pissed. And I know for sure that many indigenous leaders were upset. The women of the Métis Nation, an organization in Canada, found the act of presenting Cindy's body tissue in court horrific. Now, you have to remember, this is not common practice at all. Jean Toulet, who represented the women of Métis Nation, said that the dismemberment of an indigenous woman's body and the use of it as evidence in a trial was an assault by the state on an indigenous woman. It has shocked the conscience of the country, and I say it has brought this system of justice into disrepute. And just one quick aside, I took a class in college um, on Native American literature, and we read this book called Ishi's Brain, and it was about a Native American man who was the last member of his tribe alive. And actually, when he died, the, the government took his brain out and put it on display in a museum. Um, and it also makes me think about like the Native American Graves Act and how like Native American bones have been presented in museums where other people of other ethnicities, you know, this doesn't tend to happen to. And it just makes me think about how we are almost like presented in like a circus type format sometimes. Yeah, and so with the decision of a new trial being needed by the Supreme Court, a pre-trial hearing was scheduled for February 3rd, 2020, and we want to play a clip from a local reporter about it. Pre-trial motions are where the evidence and the witnesses are determined to be eligible for the court proceedings. Bradley Barton has been charged with manslaughter in the 2011 death of Cindy Gladue at Edmonton Hotel. Barton was acquitted of first-degree murder and manslaughter in his first trial in 2015. 
The prosecution angered many by submitting Cindy Gladue's dissected vagina as evidence. The Supreme Court of Canada ruled that another trial take place, a rare decision. The Supreme Court said the judge was wrong to allow evidence of Gladue's sexual history without holding a hearing to determine if it is admissible. 24 days have been set aside for the pretrial motions. A publication ban has been implemented, meaning that media are not allowed to report what goes on inside the courtroom. Barton's trial will go ahead in November. Chris Stewart, APTN National News, Edmonton. The court set aside 25 days for pretrial motions. During the pretrial hearing in February, there was a publication ban, meaning that the media could not talk about anything that happened inside of the courtroom. His official trial was scheduled for November 2020. Yeah, and I couldn't find a single recent article that actually told us if, if his trial has happened last month, but my guess is that due to COVID and all the restrictions 2020 has brought along, that his trial date has been pushed back. And as soon as we find out more information about his new date and the outcome of his trial, we'll definitely keep our listeners informed. And if you're like me, then you're definitely hoping that he is at least convicted of manslaughter. I mean, the man killed a woman and has been living his life as a free man since 2011. It's time that he gets the justice that he deserves. But thank you guys for listening in on another episode of the Red Justice Project. Let us know what you think of this episode on Instagram or Facebook. We'd love to have to, to start having some open discussions with our listeners. And actually, me and Chelsea are recording this one in person for the first time ever. So if y'all hear her young and crying in the background, <laughs> then you'll Sorry, know what's y'all. up. She is her child is pissed that this happened in Canada, and she's pissed about the injustices against Indigenous women and men across the continents. But thanks again, y'all, for tuning in and we'll see y'all next week.